hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We thank you for your provisions, Lord, from bread and, and so much more. Forgive us of our trespasses, our sins, Lord. We're a sinful people. Wonderfully redeemed, so many of us here, and yet we still have that principle of sin within. Forgive us, Lord, even as we forgive others who sin against us, we release them, Lord, remembering that our sin, by comparison, is enormous compared to the pocket change of sin of those that wrong us. And so we gratefully, Lord, with thanksgiving in our heart, we forgive those who sin against us, every last one of them. And we pray that you'd lead us not into temptation. We're so weak and puny and frail, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We sing that, and yet day to day, even today, this is our tendency. And we ask, Lord, that you would protect us and guard us like the good shepherd that you are, that we would be the men and women, boys and girls who love Jesus, who claim to love you and serve you, that you would work in and through us, Lord, that we would be men and women of integrity, that we would hate duplicity in our heart, that what you see is what you get, that we would love you with all our heart, our soul, and our strength. We would be those that love the treasure of the gospel, that have a burden for those around us, and pray that the love of God would flow through us and the burden of God to share. How shall they hear? without somebody telling the wonderfully good news. And may, Lord, because of our love for you, we brag about you and talk about you all day long and think how best that we can connect with folks. It's the only reason that you've left us, Lord, to glorify you by winning others to Jesus. I pray for that. And, Lord, we're a people that have all kinds of burdens and needs. I think from a year ago, Many in our, our uh, church family have lost loved ones. Uh, many, are, a number, are in heaven. And I'm thankful, Lord, that my own brother passed last August into glory without any warning. And there are others, and the hope of the resurrection is that much sweeter to, to me and to us today. And we thank you for that. That we can kneel at the cross and find forgiveness of every one of our sins, every one of them. And because of that, on the third day, the empty tomb, Jesus was declared Son of God with power. And because of that working, that power that works in us, you're readying us for heaven. And I'm thankful for that, that heaven's our home. And so, Lord, we pray that for those uh, here that uh, are brokenhearted, those that are suffering, maybe physical maladies. We pray for Vicki, for healing for her, for grace, and for others that have different issues. We pray, Father, for that. As our bodies seem to waste away presently, we long for the tent, the tent, the tabernacle, the body, Paul refers to it, that will never perish, imperishable. It's hard for us to even imagine what that will be like. We pray for those that are trying to make difficult decisions, May the Word of God and the Spirit of God speak through the Word today in some amazing ways. We pray for that. They give direction and wisdom and life choices. We pray. We pray, Lord, for Kirsten and the kids as they head south, that you would protect them and bless them 
as they reunite with Dave and settle meant on the home and we pray for them this Friday as they go. We ask Lord for any here that have never put their faith in the Lord Jesus. I can't think of a better day in two regards. First of all that it's Easter Sunday morning, the grandest day of the whole calendar for the Christian, the resurrection. I pray you'd open hearts that we would uh, see confession of sin we are all sinners, Lord. We just need to agree with you from our heart that we have failed you and fallen short. Open the heart and give the grace to believe. And may folks, men and women, boys and girls be saved today. And I pray, Father, not only is it Easter, but it's today. Another great reason to be saved today because we have no guarantee of tomorrow. Today may be our last. And I thank you, Lord, so much that we can be together. You provided this place. You're leading us as a church. We pray for wisdom for the men, for the Kang as they meet tomorrow night, the plans, all of these, your timetable, your provision, the monies, the time, the talents that will be needed to build the facility, to be a beachhead for the gospel, to reach our area in this world for Jesus. And we pray that you would do something so great that you alone would be glorified. No man, no man whatsoever. And we pray for that. Open the word of God now and teach us the scriptures, Lord. Thank you so much for the word of God. Where would we be without the scriptures? The more sure word of prophecy, we love you for it. Thank you now. Speak, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, take your Bible, and thank you, Rob, for reading our text today, uh, the Doctor's Gospel, chapter 24. That's Luke 24, verses uh, 1 to 12. And uh, uh, I've entitled the message, Believing is Seeing. Believing is Seeing. Remember the, the account where Jesus touched the man who had been born blind? Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was blind. You know, we're born into this world blind, spiritually blind and dead. Did you know that, Ephesians 2? You say, well, I can see and all that. Yes, but, but spiritually we are dead and blind in our sin. And, uh, and that's the reality of life, born that way. So well, how, come, how come I was born that? We are all born that way since Adam and Eve fell in Genesis 3. The, 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 the fruit is rotten. And some of you are more rotten than others, that's true. But, uh, and there's greater degrees of sin, but we're all born lost. Lost. And unless there's an apprehension, a saving, an intervention of God's Spirit in your life, then you continue along the days of life, and you'll come to the point of death. And if you are not saved, if you have never had a new birth experience, uh, you are still blind and still lost, and when you breathe your last, heaven will not be your home. But there is hell, the lake of fire. Now, that's the teaching of the Word, and nobody taught more about that than the Lord Jesus, so that we might be warned. And could anyone else teach more about it than he? I think not. He, he is God of glory and so on. Once I was blind, but now I see. Believing is seeing. I remember when I came to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was like the lights turned on. All of a sudden, I, even as a younger boy, I, I began to read the Bible, and then as I read it more, as I got a little bit older, 
it began to make sense. I began to understand who, where did life come from and who am I and what in the world am I supposed to be doing now and where am I going? And, and, and prior to that, I was lost and blind and I didn't know God's word and I didn't know what it, it seemed like a sick joke. But the lights turned on and began to understand, wait a minute, people are not animals. And we just uh, didn't come from nothing. I sat in my classrooms where they said something made, nothing made something. I go like, oh, wait a minute, he seems to be educated. But I'm here to tell you that God made everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is our creator. And he has made a world of order and design. And it shouts, made by God. It's, it's systematic and organized. Gravity, electric magnet, the periodic table, uh, microbiology, the DNA. They just discovered that uh, with, uh, with Watson and, was it Crick? In the 50s, right? Look at the incredible double helix. Look, it's glorious, this thing called life. And I was in a class, and they were saying, well, you're an animal. And I, it, I soon discovered, if you, have you ever noticed, if you tell people long enough they're an animal, they be, don't be surprised when they act like animals. They do. They, they do, and they don't need that encouragement because we're born blind. Well, what is the ultimate source? Look on your sheet. What's the ultimate source of truth in your life? What is it? We all function in this world making, making all sorts of assumptions of what's right and wrong, what is true and factual, what is bedrock. We all do that. You know, you're, we're wholly different being made in God's image than, than the animal world, Right? You know, your dog has never wondered whether to steal its doggy friend's bone was right. Never did. He, he would take it in the moment. And have you ever noticed in a fallen world, I've said it how many times, you know, like if uh, in Africa, right, you limp your lunch. And they don't feel badly about that at all. That's the animal world, you see, in a fallen world since Genesis 3. Even creation groans and moans like that. But you are not. You are made in God's image. God has stamped upon your heart intuitively his likeness. You know right and wrong by birth. You have to encourage the right, and you have to restrain the evil. The, that's within all of us, right? But, and we all make judgments all day long. What's right, what's wrong, left, and this, these kind of, and, there, and we make certain assumptions of what's right and what's true. Well, our prideful, rebellious world loves to say that truth, that truth is whatever you think it is and whatever it is that you perceive through the senses. You know, and so like you can be right for you and it can be opposite for me, and, but it's right for you and it's wrong for me, but uh, let's, let's hug, you know. And so like, so you hug and you lift their wallet and they go like, that's wrong. He said, no, it's right for me. You know, and they go, it's you just got to call nonsense by any other word. It's still absolute and total nonsense. You know, B.F. Skinner wrote the book Situational Ethics, a Harvard professor, and it uh, influenced the whole generation. That you can never govern ahead of time a situation whether what's right or what's wrong. I dare say he can't live in God's world consistently and hold that view. Because if I broke into his house and into his safe and stole his millions of bucks and royalties that he made off that, he'd he would be the first one to be saying, that's not right. I go like, it was right for me. And his whole system breaks down. 
you can't live in God's world, you see, uh, in a way that uh, violates his side. You see, there's limited value uh, in the senses. Of course, we use our eyes and ears. Please use your brain. Use these things. Don't drive. On. Pastors, I don't need my eyes when driving. Some of you look like that when you're driving. Please keep your eyes. Don't be texting. Oh, I just read that more of the older folks are texting, not the teens. Don't be doing that. Use your eyes, your ears, but recognize how limited they are in ascertaining truth, ultimate truth. And know how limited they are um, uh, in, in these areas. Um, uh, why, uh, you can be, uh, as, as what? You can be completely deceived on your sheet. The illusionists have shown this. I mean, the hand is quicker than the eye, right? <laughs> The slay a hand, right? What do you just do there? You ever see that with a with a with the uh, the, the table game there? Where's the ball? Where's the ball? Shell game. How'd you know that, right? <laughs> well, you know all the lyrics to the rock songs, and you know, okay, where, where's the ball? Where's the? Oh, it's, no, it's not. It's only one in three chance. Even if you just guess, you know, like uh, the hand. I saw David Copperfield make the Statue of Liberty disappear. I saw it. I stood at faith, and I was like. It's gone. New York Harbor, no Statue of Liberty. How, how do you do that? It has limited value. It has value. We're thankful for vision and hearing and the other three senses, but they're limited. They're limited. Our senses uh, cannot even determine the truth of history. You know that? You can't. You can't even, you can't, you cannot, through your eyes, through your experience, discern that George Washington was first president of the United States. We, have, we may have been, it may have been the biggest hoax in American history. Father of our country. Yeah, what a joke. You know, but your eyes, you can't ascertain that. Your ears, nothing. You certainly can't taste it, can you? I don't think so. Uh, and all, no, you can't. And also, how about ultimate origins? You can't. Your senses are no good at that. Forget it. They, they beget, it's a one-time a one, uh, one event only. It's not a repeatable issue. Anything that's not repeatable is like, how did that happen? We can't know. You can't. And so how to discern where you came from. Or the realities of metaphysical things like soul and spirit. We're more than simply materialistic. It's called empiricism, the senses and all that, is confined to a very narrow set of factors such as that which is repeatable. And, uh, and some of you learned that, many of you did, in scientific experimentation and scientific method. And, you know, you kind of get the conditions and control and you change one thing to see how that the result, and that will be repeated universally everywhere in those same things. There's value in that, and we appreciate those that give their life to studying that. It helps us in all kinds of areas, medical science, pharmaceuticals, these kind of things, you know, as they, they work on, on helping us. But it's very limited. It's, it, you can't stick all, most things under the microscope of these things. They turn what's right, what's true, what are, what are the metaphysical things. Impossible. Impossible. Well, what are we to do then? Well, on the first Easter morning, that Resurrection Sunday, there were men and women who saw, actually saw the empty tomb, but they didn't know what to do or think about it. I mean, they saw it was empty. I mean, they, their eyes, they go, yeah, uh, did someone steal the body? What happened to the body? I mean, where, would, would you tell us where you put him, uh, his body? And uh, in this day, we learn again that seeing is not believing. But believing, and believing the word of God, now that's seeing. I once was blind, but now I see. 
That's the solution right there. Listen, we have in our Bible, Peter says, and Peter was an eyewitness, uh, something more wonderful than being there and seeing. We have the more sure word of prophecy that is the very word of God. How wonderful is that? And, and it's the grace of God that works in your heart. You say, uh, I believe the Word of God. That's not something, you're not just smart or lucky or happy or anything. It's the grace of God that has opened your heart in new birth and given you the grace to believe the gospel. Now, really wrestle with that because it's the grace. It's people outside of Christ that don't know Him. They're not just stupid or something. No, they're, they're, they're dead in their trespasses. The grace of God has not visited them yet like it has perhaps you if you know Jesus as your Savior. And on this first Easter morning, they saw, they didn't understand. Uh, on this day, again, we, we, we see that it's not believing, it's not seeing, but it's believing the Word of God that produces what? Sight. Now I really See, Peter said, we have a more sure word. A prophecy means the scriptures. Well, the word of Christ. Well, there are two responses, just a short message this morning. Two responses that summarize all possible reactions to the empty tomb. I mean, and it was really empty. Some of us have been able to, uh, to go over there. <clears throat> and if that is the tomb in Gordon's Calvary, it's empty. In fact, uh, you can see it. There's quite a, quite a moving thing to go into the garden and see that. It may have been in the vicinity of where the Church of the Sepulchre is today. We're not sure. Gordon's Calvary, I'd like to think it's there, but he is not there. It's really empty. The indicative that is used here, it's reality. It was empty. Well, the first reaction, it's either, belief, it's either unbelief, that's Roman number one, What's the reaction to it? Unbelief. Just don't believe. Don't believe upon the resurrected Lord. Unbelief. He is not here. Remember the text there? He is not here or, can I say it, or anywhere else for that matter. And that's the majority opinion, whether initiated or not, whether informed or not, of the mass humanity. He is not here and he's not anywhere. And I could care less in and most haven't even searched out the evidence or even read the, the primary source, the Scriptures, to see what do the Scriptures say. Well, if he is, in fact, still dead, uh, we have been fooled, and we are totally without any hope. We are hopeless. Hopeless. We said that this morning at the farmhouse. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is still dead, we are of all men most miserable, to be pitied, why? We're without hope. Hope in the English language, a very weak word. You know, we'll go like, well, I hope, I hope, publisher or clearinghouse calls me. You know, like, I'm really hoping, Lord. I've even prayed about it. I'd even give to the building fund if they, you know, like this whole, it's a weak word. In the, in the Greek, in the New Testament, it's a very strong word. It's the absolute confident expectation. Now that, you would never speak that way about publisher's clearinghouse, right? You wouldn't. But this is the absolute confident expectation. And have you ever looked in the eyes of people that don't have that, that are hopeless? I have. I've seen it in the eyes. It's a daunting thing to look in the eyes of children that have no hope. Young children should never be. They should, 
God has designed that, those years of innocency to, uh, even though there's sinners need to be saved and we need to have a great children's ministry, but that so many are exposed to the raw realities and they lose that childlike innocency way too soon. They ought to be cocooned into that. They're, they're hopeless, hopeless, sad. And I've looked in the eyes of hopeless people at funerals. I lived uh, in Indiana right next to a funeral home and Darwin, the director, used to ask me, hey, Terry, he said, uh, if a family needs a pastor, will you, w- would you conduct their service? I go, if I can fit that into my uh, schedule, I would be glad to do that. What a great opportunity, right? Oh, that was so hard. Holy cow. I mean, uh, people that were unchurched, never knew the gospel, had no hope of anything beyond death. I mean, it's like a freak show, and I'm, I'm preaching the reality of Christ, and I didn't even know the one who had died. And there, that's, I knew that was the last place they wanted to be. There was no celebration. There was no joy in many of them. And I was like, Dr. Death, you know, who, oh, get this over with. You know, this kind of a th- hopeless. If his body is still in the grave, we are hopeless Hopeless, unbelief. He is not here, or for that fact, matter of fact, he's nowhere. Well, let me say, hey, the women who went to the, his tomb early in the morning in our text with the spices to anoint his body were of this opinion. They were. They were in unbelief. Those spices in another text tell us they were, it was a lot of pounds. They had, a, they had to hike those things. They had to hike those things. When I was a boy, my father had my brother and I do all kinds of things. I remember one of the hardest things was the big old cast iron radiators. He said, now pick those things up, you and your brother, and get those out of the house. We're going to salvage them. I'm like, okay, we can do that. Oh, they were hundreds and hundreds of pounds. How are we going to do it? Maybe we should throw it out the window or something. You know, like put a hole the size of, ch- I don't know. It was, how far do we have to take these? How far? When you've got to carry something, you know, I mean, you go like, where we go? I mean, this is, these are a lot of pounds of spices, these ladies. How far are we going? Well, I mean, you just don't like, hey, I'll take that with me, you know. They were in unbelief. The very fact that they were carrying these things shows that they were preparing his body to remain in the grave. That's how they, that's how they did it. Today, death is very impersonal in, uh, in our culture. You know, we live in a land that loves death, death everywhere, you know, but uh, we don't know what to do with it when it happens. Not too many years ago, uh, you know, when someone died, my mother told me when her grandma died, uh, she, they brought the body into the parlor, and uh, the casket stayed, right, that was in western PA, northwest PA, and that was uh, in the 30s maybe, 40s, and some of you, some of you may remember that, and, uh, and the body was, was cared for by the family, washed and dressed and cared for. And there was, the, there's a, there was something good about that. The touch, the bereavement, that was a loved one, you know, and would be there for three or four days. And she talked about her grandma then when they had a service at the church and to the cemetery, that kind of thing. Uh, but today it's like uh, the body goes, we don't even see it. And then some even use cremation, but if it's, uh, if it's laid out there, you know, and the flowers around, and we make it as nice and alive as possible, uh, they were preparing th- his body here with 
pounds and pounds and pounds of spices that would give a nice scent to a body that was dead. Why? They didn't, they, they, they didn't believe he was going to rise from the dead. You know, he's not there, but he, where is he? I don't know. Is he anywhere for that matter? And we see that in the, in the, in the lay, in, in the light. They, these spices were not needed. And even the angels attending the tomb rebuked them. I mean, they rebuked. It's a mild rebuke. Why, why are you seeking the living among the dead? I mean, that's a rebuke. I mean, it's sort of like, don't you get it here? We're going to talk about what they should have got and they didn't get, and hopefully we'll get it, uh, but they didn't believe. And B, the disciples didn't believe what they heard. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't believe. They, they heard the woman's report of the empty tomb. Of all people, of all people, the 11 disciples should have been expecting the empty tomb. But when they first were told of it, they refused to entertain the idea that Jesus had been raised. And I quote, look at the text in 9-11. These words of the lady seemed to be to them like an idle tale. You know, like, oh, that's silly women talk. What is that? What is that? Stop talking like that. That's silly. They're like rebuking the ladies. I mean, if anyone should have known. Now, let me get ahead of myself. I, some of you like to go to the Penn State football games, or you used to, right? How many used to? Some of you are. How many Penn State fans here? Anybody? Yeah, but, uh, we are Penn State. Okay, there you go. Uh, so they say one of the big things up there is the uh, tailgate party, right? The tailgate. Some of those guys are crazy, aren't they? They're sort of like they're all weekend. I don't know how the university puts up with it, but they back in and they pull their hot dog grill down and everything, and they carry on for. I guess the pro teams do it too, right? They do this, this whole... And then, like, the football game's kind of like an... I mean, uh, after the fact kind of a thing. Super Bowl week is even crazier, right? It's the whole week down whatever city's hosting it in the parking lot, everything, people pulling their RV... I mean, it's celebration, celebration, waiting for the kickoff, right? The big moment. And a lot of times, in the Super Bowl, a lot of times it's a, it's a disappointment. Now, sometimes it's a fun... Fun game when the Bills are in, that's extra exciting. And when the game is real close, you know, Steelers already won too many. I mean, just come on, give me a break. Anyway, I say that doesn't sound like a Christian title anyway, Steelers. You know, so what does he mean by that? I'll tell you later. But, uh, you know, this is my whole thought. It really hit me this week with all that the... Now, now come on, un, no unbelief in the house of the Lord. Uh, uh, why? It just hit me like a ton of bricks. The Lord had, of all people, the disciples should not have been in unbelief at this point. They should have been like a tailgate party with hundreds and thousands camped outside his tomb with a countdown. I go, like, wh Why? They're, they're cowering in some room, you know, it's, it should have been, hey, he said it three days, sign of Jonah, we got a day and a half here, give me a hot dog, you know, like this is, uh, we're going to, I want to be there, you know? I go like, well, why wasn't it that way? They were, they were, why? It should have been, right? Amen? Should have been that way. It said, we're going to see it, he says it repeatedly, and the text only shows, we're only going to show a few of the times, they should have been. Well, here they are. They're in unbelief. Even then, and too, when Peter and, and John run to the empty tomb, you know, they saw it, and yet they were still in unbelief. They go, and the road, and the two on the road to, to Emmaus. And uh, 
uh, in this very chapter, a little bit later, we study this at one. They refused to believe. They said, and they're reporting to the Lord. They didn't know it was the Lord. They said, well, some ladies were there, and they came back and told us. And even some of the disciples, well, here they go, forlorn to Emmaus. Oh, my, we had hoped. Oh, it's been now. It's the third day. They're like, what? I want, they need a head in the head. My, I'm sorry about that. Sounds off. My father used to say that a lot. I don't know if that worked or not. He said, I won't tell you what he said. And he's an old Dutchman raised in the military school, so that forget that. Anyway, uh, but don't forget this. They should have known. They refused to believe the report. What's this wrong? The, the ladies didn't. What are you doing? Uh, the, seeking the living among the dead, you know, and then the disciples. And I'm reminded, see, most of mankind responds to Jesus' empty tomb in unbelief. Unbelief. They just, they hardly pay it a thought if they know anything about it. Just, what's that? Give me, you know, I, I, I could care less. It doesn't enter into anything at all. They have no more diligence to say, where are the gospels? I better read this for myself and read Luke and find, is there anything really about this Jesus? And they ought to. In the fact, until the Word and the Spirit of God begins to draw them, they'll just go on happily in their sin and die and be lost forever, according to the Scriptures. Well, the world's like that, right? My question is, what will you do with it? Will you remain in unbelief if you're in unbelief? You know, he is not here. Eh, doesn't matter. Wherever he, ah, doesn't matter. Unbelief. Will you? We're born that way. There better be an interruption to that in your life. There must, you must be born again, Jesus said. Well, what's our world say? What miracle? We know that miracles are impossible, right? <laughs> this is one of the most arrogant things that just, the haughtiness, it makes me want to throw up sometimes. We just show up, we live a few calendar years, right? Don't you feel like you just got off the bus? I feel like I just got off the boat. And they're saying to me like, eh, you know, time's almost over. I go like, What? I didn't, when did halftime come? I, I, I'm still, you know, like, and, and people will get a few letters after their name and they'll make such pontifications, you know, like, you know, and, it's, and it, miracles are impossible. There are a lot of men and others that stand in the pulpit today that make such claims. You know, I, I mean, we're educated. We know that miracle. look, a miracle is just something superhuman. What's that mean? Something above what a man or woman can do. I don't know about you, but I can't do a whole lot. I can't even remember a lot. You know, to say it's, it's above what I'm able to do, and somehow, well, that can't be done. We all know that can't be done, so there's no resurrection. What? Please, you know? Please. You know, what arrogance. And then we give them chairs in, in university, and then they end up, you know, uh, ravaging the next generation, filling their mind with junk. They should go down and to the business office and demand a refund. I often say that. Go get a refund. You just got ripped off, you know? My miracles are impossible. Hey, did you see the moon the other night? I saw that on Thursday night. Oh, I was driving. It was just coming over the horizon. I almost started shouting. The thing, it was glorious. It was so clear. And I came home, I told I, I almost had a worship service on the Carlisle Pike. It was so glorious. Oh, thank you, Lord, that I could see that. A full, oh, beautiful. The heavens declare the glory of God. Well, anywhere world said, the dead stay dead. We know that. Don't confuse me with the facts, blah, blah, blah. Number two. Uh, well, you know, it's psychological. Uh, they'll say, well, the disciples were hallucinating. You know, we're, we're into the psycho babble nonsense. 
And uh, they imagined, they really wanted Jesus to rise, and so they just imagined it. You know, first of all, when you hallucinate, they're, they're not a group hallucination. And they're pretty bizarre, and they don't last a long time. And if you read the text, when in doubt, read the text, they weren't even thinking he was going to arise. They should have. They should have had a hot dog roast outside with the counting down the clock. Here it comes. Ha! Sunday morning. No. And when he hallucinate, it's like, I want this. I know. Oh, then I want. No. No way. Didn't even enter their mind. How about three? Oh, well, his body was stolen. Now, that goes way back to Matthew. Remember that? The high priest, just tell people they came and stole the body. Listen, it was impossible. They had, the, they had a, a, a legion of Roman soldiers there outside. They sealed the tomb. Look, the enemies didn't want him out, and the disciples couldn't get him out. <laughs> Think that one through. That's crazy talk. Or uh, even, uh, and so on. So even Jesus in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, how about that, this the final nail in the coffin to is seeing really believing. Here he told the story of the rich man Lazarus and, and talking to his, that even if a man should rise from the dead and go to his brother's house, that's the rich man's house, and see him, they still, Jesus, here's the final word on it, they still would not believe from Luke 16. Wow. Seeing is not believing. Oh, you can learn a few things, some repeatability things, but not things of ultimate origins, things of salvation. Wonder, Believing. Once I was blind, but now I see. The first response that summarizes all possible reactions is unbelief. That's most people. I hope it's not you. In verses 4 through 9, we see a second response. That's belief. Belief. He was raised. Just as he said, he is not here, he's risen. Just as he said, underline just as he said, it's the very word of Christ. When the women were at his empty tomb, stumbling about in unbelief, the angels pointed them to the very word of Christ. I noticed they didn't start talking about um, different options of where the body might be. You know, uh, they didn't do that at all. You know, evidence that demands a verdict. It may have a place. It encourages us in our edification as Christians, but they didn't start going through the logical deductions of, of where the body would be and all possible things like that. No. What did they do? And this is instructive for us, for me. They said, remember the word of the Lord. That is, remember the scriptures. He's not just blowing smoke when God speaks in the person of Christ. Listen, pay attention. You can take it to the bank. Used to be like that commercial. Remember to see that when E.F. Hutton talks at the restaurant? People go like, well, that must be a tip there, an investment tip. People listen like that. It ought to be even that, how much more so? Because it's the absolute word of God. He never hoodwinks. He never exaggerates. He always cuts it straight. And, you know, incidentally, we're to be truth speakers because that's what God is, and that's what he's making in your life so easy. Uh, never do we sin more than with probably our mind but our tongue, right? It's the tattletale of what's going on, and we say things we shouldn't, and we don't say what we should, and then we easily exaggerate, and then we lie to run and cover. Don't we? Just go, oh, I did it again. Oh, oh, God, help me. I want to be a truth. Jesus always spoke truth. They should have known that. 
And they said, remember, remember how he told you. And then the text says, then they remembered his word. It is the word of Christ. He had foretold them of his coming suffering, crucifixion, and rising on the third day. The angels remind us that truth and knowledge is based firmly on the word of God. I said in a message years ago, you remember that? The book, the whole book, and nothing but the book. Doesn't mean you can't read books. I'm a book lover. Uh, But this is the book of all books. It is the word of God. It is the word of Christ. Remember, then they remember, oh, 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 yes, yes, what was that he said? And as they begin, the, the clouds start to clear, and they start to embrace his word and, and believe it. Uh, uh, the wonderful word, and, and not their senses. They interpret the, the tomb, the empty tomb, in light of his word. And that's a, that's a, that's a momentous um, uh, tool for us. You know, with stuff that happens in our life, and doesn't stuff happen in our life? Holy cow. We go like, well, I didn't see that coming. Oh, 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 Lord, help me. And if it touches our children and our grandchildren or people we love or stuff, we go like, oh, Lord. Well, well how do you handle that? You know, I mean, it happens, right? How do you handle that? Here's, here it's instructive for us. We're to remember the Word of God and interpret the events that, and things that happen in our life through God's wonderful Word. Remember His Word. And so at such a time we say, well, what has God promised us? Never to leave us nor forsake us. He's ordered our steps. Uh, whatsoever He does is good. Right? The Lord is good all the time, and all the time God is good, and He works all things together for good, and He's preparing us for it. And so we rest in that. We believe in that. We embrace that. Whether we get fired from our job, or we get shown the door, or we get uh, rejected, or bad news from a doctor, or a bit, you know, the, all the myriad of stuff that happens in a fallen, broken world, right? We interpret that through the Word of Christ. That's the only way we can go on. How many times, ones, uh, Julie, your testimony was so beautiful this morning, you and Lisa, and we still remember dad and mom and grandma. And uh, how many people, how many times do believers say, when tragedy hits, you know, where would we be without our Bibles? Where would we be without Jesus? Where would we be? That, and what we're saying here is we're interpreting the things that happen in our lives through the Word of Christ, and that's what we need to do. You know, man lives by, not by bread alone, but I love good bread. I'm trying not to eat this much. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I need more of the word ingested in my life, not less of it. And so they remembered, they interpret, they were to interpret the empty tomb in the light of his word. Well, Jesus had foretold of his execution and resurrection many times. I mean, this was not like, you know, he's kind of snuck it up on him at this point or that. Three years of ministry and training. And I, I just um, list a few of them in, in, after Peter's great confession. Remember that in Luke 9? It's, reported, it's recorded also in Matthew and in other places where, well, who do men say that I am? It was, uh, it was, uh, it was an examination time. It was a midterm. Those who love exams, essay. Who do men say that I am? Uh, and they give the rundown, right? Well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're that prophet. You know, giving all these options, right? And then, then Jesus, it's a two-part question, but who do you say I am? And Peter, he's, he gets an A+. You are the Christ. 
the son of the living God. Wow. Yeah, wow, great. And as soon as he did that, he flunked. You know, the Lord began to tell them right at that point, now that they knew who he was, the promised one from Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, come through the line of David, the son of Abraham, the promised coming king, who came to die, the Isaiah 53, Lamb of God. Then he began to tell them the divine plan of the ages. I must needs go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be tortured and killed, and rise again the third day. That was the occasion there uh, at the confession that Peter made. They knew that. I don't know if they were daydreaming, fell asleep while he was lecturing at that point, thinking of their wives and children at home, or what? Well, it was like, whoop, completely over the head. Did you ever have, sit in class and the teacher gives information, pretty important stuff, and somehow you missed it and you found out during the exam, what, did we cover this stuff? You know, and then maybe you read a chapter in the, in the library, but you were by a fan or an open window, and you go like, oh, I can't believe I'm done with that chapter. And then you have like, I never read any. I don't remember anything. of that. It's like I, spiritual blinders, you know, and they should have known. Another uh, account is on the Mount of Transfiguration. How great is that? I mean, Peter, James, and John, the inner three, over... Uh, they're on this Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. The glory that he had radiated just for a moment. Part of his, his incarnation was a humiliation, Philippians 2, where his glory was veiled. I mean, the glory, the radiance of his essence from the eternity past when he was conceived in the womb of Mary by that virgin birth and born. He looked like any ordinary baby. You can go to some of the great museums and uh, Rembrandt, they'll paint a halo. There was no halo over the, the head of Jesus, none. There was no radiance, no eminence, until this one day on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's metamorphized right before them on the mount, and the radiance that is his, his glory, radiated. And there on the mount with him is Elijah and Moses, probably the two most famous Old Testament saints, we discover, as we heard last week, Moses finally did make it into the promised land. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration, as a little trick question. And there's Elijah, the flaming prophet who never saw death and went right to heaven. Remember that? And they're talking. And I think it's so wonderful because the text tells us what they were talking about. Uh, I mean, the whole scene is, uh, just blows their mind. But they ended, the text tells us that they were talking about his exodus. We're not talking about leaving Egypt, but he was talking about his suffering, his dying, his death, and his resurrection, leaving. And here's Peter, James, and John up there. They're sort of in a sleep stupor, but uh, they, uh, they hear this conversation. They kind of eavesdrop. You ever notice that sometimes in restaurants people will eavesdrop? My, my son-in-law has made us uh, careful about that. He says, uh, especially in the South, I don't know, Susan, if that was your experience or not, but uh, he said, people like to hear other people's lives, and they're like, he's like, uh, Dad, Z, don't talk so loud. i like, am I talking loud? It must be my hearing or something. Like, yeah, because, because people are kind of like, 
<laughs> he says they want it. They sort of want it. They want to. Oh, and uh, you know this kind of eavesdrop. I know. I know none of you ever do that. Some of you are blushing, but I know none of you ever do that. But people imagine eavesdropping in as a disciple on monitor and this conversation. Hey, let me tell you what I heard. I'll tell you what I saw. I just you won't believe it. I mean, it was about his 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 death and resurrection. I mean, if anyone should have known that Peter, James, and John. It's like dumber class and dumber. I said, what is going on here? If I didn't have the same thing in my own heart by birth and life, I wouldn't understand, but I do. What a conversation. And three, Jesus told of the, uh, his future to the disciples in Luke 17, 25. He said, we're going to Jerusalem, you know. But first, get, get, take notes here. I'm going to suffer. And, uh, and let me read that account. Turn, turn, that, turn to 17, verse 25. I mean, how, could you make it any clearer? Any clearer? I saw in the Wall Street Journal, they coming out, yippee, right? Brand new, high-definition TVs. Four times what a 1080 is. I don't know if that's going to help Indiana play better basketball. What do you think, Dan? Now, four times. they like, how can it be four times sharper than a 1080p? On a, oh, my. Anyway. Could this have been any clearer on this 1725 where our Lord says uh, in the text, uh, but first he, speaking of himself, Jesus must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And he's talking about his second coming at that point. Look at... Uh, Look at 18, verse 31. I have it on your sheet as well. And, and, and taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, uh, he's going to tell them why they're going up to Jerusalem. Why are we going up there again? We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. You're like, here we go again. I mean, we just get it again and again and again and again. Maybe it's uh, like that class that you never did really well in. You kind of remedial again and again. Let's do it again and again and again. And they don't get it. They're just, they don't get it. They don't get it. And he told the very reason to go. Everything written in the Word of God. Look, Christ, I said it before, he doesn't just show up in Matthew. It's from cover to cover. Search the scriptures they teach of me. This is the book about Jesus from cover to cover. It's the written word that teaches of the living word. I believe because of Colossians 1, in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created heavens and the earth, and God said, I, th I think that was the, actually the second person of the Godhead. Check Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1. The God the Father made all things through him. Now, there was all Trinitarian involvement, but... It begins with him and it ends with him. In Revelation 22, he's coming, he's coming again. Well, Jesus' resurrection should not have been a surprise. No surprises. You know, I encourage you to take, always take God at his word. Why? Because he always keeps his word. God always keeps his word. And for us who trust him, who know him, uh, his word is so precious and dear, he'll keep it. You come to the end of absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Absolutely. 
We'll be here, we'll conduct a funeral, but you won't be here. You, and you won't want to be here. And you go like, why are they crying? You know, like, <laughs> I don't even want to go back. I love them so much, I'm staying up here. Thank you very much. And also, his word is true, even bad news. Those that reject Jesus are doomed forever in the place of the lake of fire. God's word is faithful for yea and for nay. You can always count on it. Always count on it. Always. We must believe his wonderful word. And if we do by his grace, by grace alone, we will see, really see for the first time in our lives. For seeing is not believing, but believing, believing his word is the only way to see. And in my own family, my father was saved the last week he lived. I've told this story how many times. And... Uh, he uh, didn't know he was sick. He had a massive heart attack when he was a younger man. He's getting younger all the time for me. He was 54, and he died, and that was it. But God, in his grace, saved him the last Sunday ever, he hardly ever went to church. And he was at the, their Christmas tree at my mom's church, and the pastor had prayed a sinner's prayer, and he prayed along out loud at a seat. My younger brother right next to him bore testimony of that, and he was a changed man for those four days, five days that he lived after. And my mother recounts a conversation talking about seeing is not believing, but believing is seeing. She said, can you believe the, your father? It was Christmas time. And he said to me, you know, I never knew, this was after he trusted Christ, he said, I never knew that Mary was a virgin. And my mother goes like, but Ed, we've been singing you those Christmas songs for years. He said, no, I just... No, I just never, never knew. And so in my, a very personal way in our family, in a thousand ways in my own life, and I've seen it in others, seeing is not believing. You have to take God at his word by his grace alone. And all of a sudden, for the first time, for the first time, things make sense in a crazy, broken, upside-down world. It's all because of Jesus. All because once I was blind, but now I see the book, the whole book, and nothing but the book. There should have been thousands of people waiting outside the tomb. And when he came out, they should have been like this, right? <laughs> we knew it. You said it. We're here. Not in my Bible. Holy cow. Maybe it's the addendum, right? <laughs> the yearly update. It didn't happen. Let's not be that in our life. We have to know the word and say, by God's grace, do it when we fail. Lord, forgive me and start again. A righteous man falls seven times and he gets up by grace. Get up, get up. Some of you need to hear that today. Get up and start again. Do it daily. And feed upon the word of God. You'll never regret it. You'll never come to the end if I see it, Holy Spirit, and you're like gasping, oh, I spent too much time reading my Bible. I've yet to have someone say that. And you won't say, I... You know, I regret not spending more time at the office. No one's ever said that to me. You know, I should have stayed there, you know, that overtime. No, no, you'll love this, and we'll read the Scripture, and you will have peace flood your heart as you get ready to take off for the trip that goes on forever. Well, what can we say? Close with lessons. Just like, number one, just like the disciples at this moment, all they really needed was God's Word. It should, be an, it should have been enough for them. Today, that's all we really need is God's Word. Search the Scripture. Remember what He said. We are believers who take the Lord God always at His Word. God said it, 
And I like how Dottie put it the other week. She, God said it, it really doesn't matter whether you believe it. It does for you, but God said it, and that settles it. You don't enter into the formula whether it's going to happen or not. God said it, and that settles it. And that's it. It's his word, the only sure foundation of all life. Rest upon it. It's more than enough. Remember, believers believe that's what they do. Don't be a believer who's in unbelief. That's really, right, uh, a monstrosity, something quite ugly, really. Wow, you don't want to do that. And we love to sing, right? All the rest is what? Sinking sand, right? Number two, use your eyes and ears and brains. Please do that. But when everything is rather upside down and totally confusing, a lot of life, right? Rest in his word. God delights in that. When the lights go out and we go like, Lord, I'm still trusting. When the pain hits and everything, I'm still, I'm going to trust you. God delights in that. How rare that is. That's what we want to be, right? That's all you really need. If you do the opposite when life hits and don't trust him, you're going to be a mess, and I've seen that. I've seen a mess. And it's, a re- you know, hard times reveal what's really in here. They have a great way of doing that. Success does, and everyone's happy at the beach, right? Hey, it's great, you know. How's it? Hey, great, you know. Yeah, right. But when the pressures of the hard times come, that really shows what's what. And they're a blessing of God because it may reveal we need to do business with God. Number three, Jesus is alive today. He's glorified. He's in heaven one day soon. He's going to return for his bride, the church. Ours is a risen Savior. All the other religious leaders are dead and gone. Muhammad, gone forever. Confucius, still in the grave. Not Jesus. Wow. He is the living God. He is the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead. Remember that? The God of the living. And four and last, if you have never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know, I don't know your heart. I'd believe for all of you if I could. When I go to heaven, I'm going to be looking for noses. My mother's count noses. She had seven kids, so that's why I don't know if she could always get all their names right, you know, kind of like count, get your nose over here. I'm going to be doing that. And I believe for you, but I can't. You've got to individually be born again. So how do you do that? You must confess that you're a sinner. We're all sinners. That's why I love the church. There's nothing prideful about that. Sinners welcome. That's who we are. No better place. People will say to me, I'm not going to church because they're hypocrites. Why do you say that? Do you say they're sinners? Yeah. That's where we need to be. Isn't that great? Come and join us. They don't expect that, you know, sort of. <laughs> but it's true. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive Christ the Lord who paid the price for my sin, satisfied the holy, just demands of God for me, and invites me to come just as I am with all that garbage in my life. Come. Don't delay. Come. I'm going to close. And as we close here in a moment, we give you an opportunity to pray. And, and you pray along with me if you have never trusted Jesus. And you can be saved today through a simple prayer. Oh, what a great thing. Believing is seeing. And maybe for the first time you will see. You will see and see the glory of the Lord. What a great day to do this on the resurrection day. Jesus is calling. He's calling through his word. He's calling through his spirit. Come to him. Come. Come, shall we pray. Father, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that there really was an empty tomb on that day according to the word of Christ.
according to the promise of God and the prophecies of the Old Testament, and the power of God. Almighty God, thank you for your timetable. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the love of God. We thank you for the justice, the wisdom of God that's so magnified at the cross and the wonder of all these things. For the cross is the death of death. And I thank you for that. Lord, I pray now that, that we would live for you and rejoice in you and that our lives would be filled serving the Lord. And for those here, Lord, that have never put their faith in you, maybe for the first time, uh, come to understand that uh, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord and a simple prayer would be saved, may open their heart and save today. I pray for that. And if that's you this morning, you, you mean it with all your heart, just pray, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Thank you for the cross that you died in my place. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for dying for me, Lord. May I live for you forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Lord, so much. Bless us, change us, put a song in our heart as we leave this place. Make us a dear blessing to all that we should meet. We love you so that believing is seeing. Thank you, Lord, for eyes that really see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.